Well, good morning, everyone. What a delight it is to see you on this Labor Day weekend when you uh, could be elsewhere, but you have chosen to be here with us. So those of you watching online, we're glad you're here as well, but it is a joy to see you today. And you know, Labor Day, it's a time when we honor laborers and we say thank you for the work that's done and we thank God for work we get to do and it's also nice to have a day off though I have to admit so happy Labor Day so one time when Clark and I were <clears throat> not laboring we went to California on a little vacation to visit Yosemite and San Francisco and we got to visit some of the Napa Valley region beautiful part of the country and we had the chance to visit Jericho Canyon Vineyards. After some introductory remarks of these, by this um, guide, we were put in a uh, four-wheel drive super-duper golf cart and taken up the terraced mountain to the top of the hill so we could see the vines up close and personal. Now, because we were the only people on the tour this day, we got a lot of good information. I mean, we learned what kind of grape was grown in what vineyard so that it would produce what kind of wine. And we learned how old the vines were and the vineyard itself. We learned a lot. And then our guide explained to us that they were just about to begin this very tedious process of pruning, painstaking process. And that is just to get the grapes harvested and grown. Then they have to be crushed and pressed and fermented and clarified and aged and bottled, all that to get a fine glass of Merlot. That's a lot of work. Well, one thing that I remember though, after leaving the vineyard that day, I was just struck by the amount of work that is required, the care and attention that is required for the branches to be connected, to stay well connected to the main vine, the healthy central vine where most of the nutrients are. That is, if you want them to bear fruit. Well, friends, that's really what our sermon is about today, recognizing our connection to the vine as we conclude our sermon series of Life With. You may recall that we talked about life with family, life with the now generation of children and youth, like with small groups, like with community, and now it's life with God. So would you pray for, with me? Oh, gracious God, we thank you for this chance to be together in worship. And I pray that your spirit would blow upon us afresh this day. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable to you, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, our gospel text that Gary read from comes from the Gospel of John, and it's really in a section that we call Jesus' farewell discourses. It lasts for four chapters. It's like Jesus is giving his friends, the disciples, their final instructions. He is anticipating how disconnected they might be feeling after he is gone from them, and he knows that he is about to die. He is hoping that these words would give them strength for the journey ahead because he knows his death is imminent. The setting is at the upper room at the Last Supper. So these words are like preemptive or preventative or anticipatory instructions so that if or when they begin to feel abandoned, 
begin to feel like God has left them, that they will remember these words and be encouraged. In effect, he is saying to his friends, there will be times when life is not easy. But do not forget, we are connected. And I will never, ever, ever let you go. You will notice in these four chapters that Jesus uses metaphors that point to something larger than what's going on right now at the dinner table. He self-identifies with images that are familiar to the people, images that hold theological weight. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And now he's talking about a vine. They all point to relationships, relationships with God, relationship with Jesus, relationship with one another. So let's talk about vines for a bit. And imagine, if you will, why this is such a great image for Jesus to have used for those first century Christians. You see, um, in that day, the vine, the vineyards, were located on all the terraces around, on the hillside and the countryside. And the vine, they required a lot of tending. The vine dresser, the one who prunes and cultivates and trains the vines, works hard to make sure that the vines are productive. So a plot of land is selected. All the stones are thrown out. A fence is put up around the vineyard. A wine press is cut out or carved or dug. A watchtower is erected so they can see what is going on. And then the grapes with the choicest vines possible, are carefully planted. Grapes are grown on trellises today for us, but back then they were just grown on the ground, uh, all around the ground, so that when a vine began to bear fruit, they would lift it up and put a rock underneath it so the fruit wouldn't lay on the ground. And when the grapes started to bear fruit, then the unproductive branches nearby were pruned so that more nourishment could go to the productive branch. It was intensive, daily, near hourly work that had to be maintained. So when Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches, he is saying something very profound. He is saying, I'm the vine and you are the branches and I am doing all that I possibly can to love and care for you. Because I understand that it's going to be tough for you after I'm gone. I understand because I am giving my life for my branches so they can stay connected to this vine. For we are connected intimately and organically. Never forget that. I know that you will be fearful and uncertain as to what is to come in those days when you feel it is dark and dangerous. I know that many of you are going to be treated harshly because of your faith in me. I know it is going to be challenging, but abide in me. Abide. Now, abide is kind of an old-fashioned word, isn't it? I mean, we don't use it very often. It's almost obsolete, and yet here in these verses, According to the gospel writer John, Jesus uses it 11 times in 12 verses. Abide. So what does it mean? 
That Greek word, meno, translates to remain in or live with, to stay with, continue to be with, to last, to endure. Jesus is saying, yes, it is true, you're going to feel like you are in total darkness sometimes, but you are not alone. Don't give up. Remain. Hold fast. Stand firm. Be faithful. Abide. Two years ago, Barbara Brown Taylor wrote a book called Learning to Walk in the Dark. Now, Barbara Brown Taylor is an Episcopal priest, fabulous preacher. We like to quote her a lot because everything she says is quotable just about. She's an awesome person. But this book, Learning to Walk in the Dark, is really an honest and helpful portrayal of her own life at those times when she felt disconnected to God. And if we're honest... All of us, right here in this room, anyone listening, if we're honest with ourselves and with one another, we have been there at times when we have felt disconnected to God. Maybe you felt betrayed by a friend or loved one. Maybe you felt like your prayers were going unanswered and that God just wasn't listening to you. Maybe that God wasn't even there. Perhaps uh, you feel like you're in that dark place even now. For darkness seems to be everywhere sometimes, and we just wish that we knew where the nightlight was that we could turn on and make it all go away. In a way, though, Barbara Brown Taylor is encouraging us to befriend the darkness. Not to run from it or hide from it, but to acknowledge it and name it, to live with it. For she recognizes that sometimes those dark places end up being tremendous places of growth and understanding. Understanding about ourselves, our world, and certainly about God. Things she would never have learned before. She continues, I have learned that new life starts in the dark. In the seed, in the ground, in a baby in the womb, in Jesus, in the tomb, new life starts in the dark. Can you imagine the dark places where you have been? And if you think back on that time, can you realize a new beginning, a new life that was etched out of your life because you had gone through that dark time? I hope and pray That if you are in that dark place right now, that with a little time and perspective, you would be again to see a new beginning. Sheila Cassidy, in her book, Audacity to Believe, tells of her being arrested in Chile for treating a wounded revolutionary. She was arrested and held without trial and put in a detention camp. She was eventually found guilty of a minor infraction, but she was still held for many months. And during that time, a doctor came to see her and gave her a copy of the New Testament. She said she was flipping through the pages and she came across Romans when Paul said, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress, persecution or famine, nakedness, peril or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. 
for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of Christ through Jesus our Lord. She writes, incredibly, in the midst of fear and loneliness, I felt incredible joy. For I knew without any vestige of doubt that God was with me and that nothing they could do would take that away. New life, it starts in the dark, in a seed in the ground, a baby in a womb, Jesus in the tomb, or even in a Chilean detention camp. It starts in the dark. Friends, I admit that day to day, this is hard to do when you are feeling that the darkness is overwhelming. But it is then when you are in the midst of it that you need to strain really hard to listen to Jesus saying those words to you. Abide in me. Abide in my love. Stay strong. Hold on. Don't give up. Endure. Remain faithful. I remember a story Henry Nouwen told. He's a deceased Catholic priest. And he was at a charity function. The woman next to him was wanting to talk to him because he's a well-known guy. And and, uh, he could tell she was kind of uncomfortable. And finally, they got to the heart of the matter when she said, I'm having trouble feeling close to God or believing in God because of all this, whatever was going on in her life. And then Henry looked at her in the eyes. And he said very intently, give me five minutes a day in silence in the presence of Jesus. Five minutes a day in silence in the presence of Jesus. Sometimes that's the hardest part, isn't it? Being silent and still in the presence of God. So often we want to do all the talking. I know I do. I want to act like I'm somehow in control and I want God to hear these thoughts that God already knows. But if we are in that still place, in the quiet, just between us and God, God can speak to us in a way that we can hear and all the noise of life goes away. Five minutes, silent in the presence of Jesus. Really, though, I want to tell you that there's no magic formula because God is already here. God is as close as your breath. But I admit, for me, there are times when I'm more open to experiencing Christ's presence. I know in my head he's right here with me, but sometimes I need to do some things that put me more in an open attitude. And so, for me... There's some things that I do besides trying to be silent. Sometimes I just like to read scripture out loud so I can hear it. Like in this world you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. I like to hear that. Fear not or rejoice. There are different things that I need to hear that help me. Or I like to sing, usually by myself. In the quiet, when no one else is around, sometimes I'll take a hymnal and go to the piano and pick out a melody and sing and cry and sing and and 
be mad at myself that I never learned to play the left hand too, but that's a whole nother. <laughs> Sometimes I say a simple prayer. Jesus, Jesus, I need you. Sometimes I go outside and just look at the beauty of creation. Sometimes I put myself in the presence of friends, other believers. I come to worship and I let you all encourage me, even though you don't even know you're doing that. The truth is, I know that there is nothing you or I need to do. There's nothing we have to do. For God is already here. God already abides with us, endures, continues, holds on, hangs tight to you and to me, even when it's dark. But sometimes we just forget that we have already been baptized into his life, already been baptized into his love. Abide in me as I abide in you. Abide in my love. You know, it sounds so simple, I admit. But really, to do it, we need each other. We need the strength of the community to help us remember and help us hold on. Help us to believe when we are too weak or too lost to believe it for ourselves. Which is why, besides abiding, we are called to love one another. Yes, Jesus gives us one more commandment in verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So beyond abiding in Christ's love, we are to nurture love by loving others. We are to nurture love by recognizing our connectedness to the vine and to the branches. So again, when Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, he is saying something mighty profound. I am doing everything I possibly can to love and care for you. Why? So that you can love and care for one another. The love that Jesus is talking about is not a gushy, warm, sentimental kind of love. Rather, it's a love that recognizes our connectedness to the other branches and to the vine. This means being for the other person and acting accordingly. You see, at the heart of the gospel writer's message, he insists that the evidence of the Christian life is love. Love in action. And only when we actively love one another and reach out to those in need do we bear the marks of being engrafted in Christ. We are branches connected to the source. And together we grow, and in the fullness of time, we bear fruit. To say that we abide in the vine of Jesus Christ is to say that we give our whole selves to God so that we can reach out in loving service to one another. Friends, we're about to move to a time of sharing together in Holy Communion. And I hope and pray that this will be a profound, enduring, and abiding connection to God as you partake of the elements. I pray that this communion will become a force for love and healing and growth in your life. I pray that you will have a resurgence of faith because you have partaken of this banquet together, even if, especially if, you are in a dark place right now. For this meal, it is for you. It is a means of grace, and it is a sure way for us to take note and acknowledge our connection to the vine. And rest assured, my friends, 
that the host of this table bids you welcome, bids you come. Abide in him. Abide in his love. Will you pray with me? Oh, Jesus, you are the vine and we are the branches. Apart from you, we can do nothing. But we recognize we can't love, we can't bear fruit, we can do nothing. But with you, with you, all things are possible. With you, we can find our way again through the dark to new life. With you, we can be assured that we are mysteriously and powerfully held with the other branches securely connected to you, the vine, the source of life. So may this meal comfort us and challenge us so that we could bear fruit, we can put love in action in this world that you so desperately love. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Friends, we will... Continue our worship as we receive our tithes, our offerings, and our gifts.